Think about something you use all the time. Then think about every way you could make it better. What if you did just that, then found a better delivery method, and used that to follow your passion to create a real business? That's exactly what the Sufferfest founder David McQuillan did. Despite having no idea how to do any of this, he managed to negotiate exclusive media rights for UCI race footage, license music, edit videos, and sell them as digital downloads, all while working full-time as a bank executive. Fast forward and he's built a subscription-based streaming service through a custom app, sponsored Olympic athletes, and built a brand and product that's one of the top three training apps for cyclists in the world. He's proof positive that when you solve a problem for yourself, you've probably got a good business idea on your hands. Here's how he did it. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. David, I have used your products kind of shortly after you guys got started when it was still, you know, a single episode download of the Sufferfest. And my interpretation of this product is that you guys created a streaming version of indoor cycling training videos at a time when everyone else was putting out DVDs and you used real racing footage rather than watching a bunch of people sit in a room on a trainer and try and copy what they're doing with some coach yelling at you. And I think those, in my mind, those were the two things that really made your product stand out from everything else that was out there. Maybe you can um, fill in any holes on that, kind of explain that original product and tell us what year you started. Yeah, well, yeah, we're going way back, aren't we? This is 2009. <laughs> Holy cow. And uh, that's right. We we came out with, uh, I guess, what you could consider the first downloadable uh, cycling workout video. And I'd like to say that that was some kind of, you know, really clever strategic decision. But it actually had to do with the fact that I didn't have any money to make DVDs. <laughs> uh, I... I I came up with the the idea of the Sufferfest because I'd actually bought everything else and I didn't like it. Now, I was living in Switzerland at the time and I was training indoors. And so I had bought DVDs uh, that were out there to try and keep me entertained on the bike or focused on a workout while I was on my indoor bike because in, in Zurich in the winter, you, you can't really go outside and ride your bike. And I just didn't like anything that was out there. So I started making my own videos by pulling down YouTube videos and, and things like that. And um, I originally did them as a, a podcast, a vodcast on iTunes and gave them to some friends and lots of people liked them, but I didn't have the rights to anything. So I, uh, yeah, I started making these videos myself um, and selling them online. But uh, the, the reason 
why yeah it didn't have dvds or or, or even vhs tapes uh, were still being used at, at that point a little yeah, bit i guess i had some of those too <laughs> was uh you know um, because i didn't have the money i was just trying to do stuff as cheaply as possible because this was a hobby i never had the intention to start a business uh, so i wasn't interested in investing in in this thing that was really just for fun wasn't meant to make me any money so what were you doing before i worked in banking i uh, headed up a, a division um, in the private bank at, at Credit Suisse uh, at this time, and and that was my my main job. Uh, you know, it was it was a good job. I liked it. Um, it, it was uh, you know it was great uh, in terms of supporting my family. And and the Sufferfest and making these videos was really just a uh, a creative outlet for me to uh, to do some stuff. You know, in the evening when my family was sleeping and uh, I still had some energy and wanted to do something fun. That's cool. So my next question I had written down was where did the idea come from? But it sounds like it just kind of came from wanting something better, which is where a lot of really good ideas come from. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, yeah, the best entrepreneurial ideas are, are, are when someone solves their own problem and then realizes that there's other people out there who have the same problem. And my problem was that I was bored to death on my indoor bike. I, you know, from the moment I got on, I was thinking about getting off. And that's no way to to do a workout, to do an effective workout, because if you're not engaged in what you're doing, you're not going to perform. Uh, at the time, the idea around indoor cycling workout videos was that uh, you would film a spin class or an instructor would be on screen with a few people on their turbo trainers, their indoor bikes, uh, yelling at them and telling them what to do. And you would watch these other people. Uh, those other people in those videos looked as bored as I felt. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't understand how that was going to keep me focused. So the, the idea that we had, or, or that I had, uh, since it was only me at this time, was that I was going to go back to what I did as a kid when I was racing in the 80s. And that was I used to watch old videos of the Tour de France on, on television uh, and sit on my rollers and pretend I was following Greg LeMond and Bernardino uh, up out the west. And, that, you know, I thought that's a lot more exciting because then I feel like I'm in a race. So that's the experience I wanted to recreate that I was in a race riding with people that I would never ride in, in real life and, and feel like I was, I was a champion, which none of these videos of spin classes or instructors made me feel. Right. Yeah. And so when I put together the post on this in the show notes, I'll, I'll embed some of the, you know, previews for your video so people can see what it's like. Cause you've got over the, the video of the people racing you've got graphics that show like how hard you should be going and um you know some other metrics that just kind of provide the information and then it's what i like is that they're infinitely rewatchable because they're using real footage and so even though you kind of see that same thing again it's so much better than some guy or girl standing in the trainer room just yelling at you and uh but it's also that you didn't just use any footage. You guys actually licensed real UCI footage. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, was it hard to negotiate that footage deal or was it just that nobody had tried before? Yeah, well, yeah, both, both of those things. And I, I think it, it, this is a case of, of um, the benefit of not being part of the industry because I, I didn't know what things you're not supposed to do or questions you're not supposed to ask. Uh, and so... 
because I didn't have the rights, I just called up the UCI and said, hey, can I get the rights to the world championships? And I called up the ASO and said, hey, can I get the, the rights to uh, the Tour de France? And um, at this time, I didn't really have a product that I could show them. I just had an idea. Um, and they were used to licensing rights to television stations, right? Like, uh, I don't know, uh, NBC in the US or SBS here in Australia. And, you know, they're like, yeah, sure, you can have the rights to the Tour de France. It's uh, 20 million bucks or whatever. I'm like, whoa, okay, okay, hold on a second. Let me explain to you what I'm trying to do. I actually want two minutes from this stage, from this year, and one minute from this stage, from this year, because I would stitch together footage to match a workout that I was uh, that I wanted to, to use for the video. And it took about, I would say, six months to figure out a new rights package. Uh, because these guys just weren't used to dealing with someone like me, but but uh, really to their credit, and I'm I'm really grateful to them for this. They were open-minded about it and said, "Okay, well, you know, this guy looks harmless. Um, uh, let, let's give let's give it a try and uh, and see if this works." Because for them, it, you know, I was using old footage and um, I wasn't telling the story of the race. I was creating a new story with their race footage. So uh, in the end, it worked out, um, and it worked out, I think, for well, certainly for us, and, and also for them, far better than any of us expected. Yeah, well, it just goes to show there's no harm in asking, right? Like if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Is it um, like were there when you were in the negotiations and stuff? Were there maybe a couple of key things that you said or did that overcame objections or kind of helped move things along? Well. I had no experience in rights management or the issue of legal rights for media. So this was just, I was so completely out of my depth. So I asked a lot of questions. Um, I had no idea it was as complex as it, as it was. Uh, I think it was just keeping in mind, the thing that really made it work was I tried to show that they were going to benefit financially from our arrangement um, in, in a way that made sense for them and that if they helped us grow, they were going to do better. You know, I always had their trying to show them that they were going to be okay. And even in a worst case scenario, they weren't going to lose anything. Uh, that to me was, was key, making sure that it was clear that there was value for both parties this wasn't a one-way street um and i was really open with them um they remember with the uci they asked me well how many videos do you think you might sell and uh, i said bob i don't know maybe maybe we'll sell a thousand videos um you know <laughs> and, uh, uh, of course you know we were selling the, the originally going to sell the video for i think five dollars a piece or something like that so it wasn't going to make it wasn't going to change the lives of the UCI and uh, it wasn't going to change our lives. But, uh, of course, it got bigger than we ever expected. Yeah. Actually, I had some questions about the licensing. So when you produce a video, is does that licensing extend forever on that particular video or does it you have to renew that annually? And are they so how are they getting paid? Is it like a per download type thing? Um, I can't go into the details on it too much it varies by rights holder but um, I guess uh, the basic structure is that our rights holders earn a royalty on our revenue okay when you were coming up with those numbers like how did you because again it sounds like you were kind of making this up as you went because you didn't know 
which I'd be doing the same thing if I tried to do something like this. Like, how did you figure out like what per download or per sell uh, royalty was fair? Like, where did those numbers come from? Well, well, a bit, um, a bit out of thin air, um, a bit out of looking at what other platforms that were selling things were, were taking as a, as a cut. Um, and viewing our rights holders as those platforms. Um, good conversations with open partners, um, you know, with, uh, with the UCI and ASO, and of course later with uh, our other rights holders like IMG, uh, in which they were, just, they were just honest about, you know, their past deals and what, uh, what they would expect from this kind of deal. And, and their answers were, were consistent across each of the parties. So just trying to be open and honest with everyone. You know, I made it clear of trying to build personal relationships and show that I wasn't trying to take anyone for a ride or rip anyone off. You know, it was just, look, I want you to do well out of this. We want to do well out of it. Here's the value I think you bring. Here's the value I think we bring. And uh, if we can all agree on on the, that value, especially, then, then the numbers make sense. Right. So it sounds like when you committed to working through this deal, and if you, especially if you spent six months figuring it out, like must have been the decision to turn this into a full-time gig happened before you started doing all that, right? Or was this still going to be a side project? No, this was still a side project, man. Oh, I man. found <laughs> I found this part uh, of the, the Sufferfest journey just quite fun and another thing, another chance for me to learn something. Uh, and you, you also got to keep in mind, I'm just a fanboy of the sport, right? And to me, it was just a huge thrill to be talking to ASO and UCI and, um, you know, like, wow, this is cool, man. I'm like, you know, cycling insider. This is awesome. Uh, I just loved doing this stuff. Um, I, I, I thought that I, I really did think, oh, maybe we'll over the lifetime we'll sell a thousand videos. I really didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember when we put the first video up for sale, uh, I had this little ding on my computer that would be that would go off if someone bought a, a video. And I remember hearing the first ding and you know just calling my wife like, oh my god, someone bought a video! I can't believe it. This is <laughs> awesome. And uh, I remember one week walking home from work you can see this so clearly thinking wow we sold enough videos this week that you know uh, my wife and i can buy pizza for dinner um this friday and then it it started to grow then it was like oh now we sold enough that we can buy groceries oh oh man now we sold enough that we can actually we could pay our rent um <clears throat> uh, so it you know, this grew and grew but the idea of actually leaving my job and um, dedicating my life to helping people suffer uh, did not occur to me until the very beginning, I would say, of 2012. So about four, three and a half, four years? Yeah. Wow. Nice. So how quickly did it escalate? You know, you're going from like being able to buy pizza to pay your rent to obviously much more than that. Like, what was that ramp? Was it like over a couple of months or a couple of years? Uh, the first year was was rather flat. Um, let's say 2010, 2011 really started to, to pick up. And so we, in 2012, uh, we, we, we had around six, you know, we had six figures, probably mid six figures in terms of income. 
And right. for me, that you know, this little hobby had all of a sudden become, whoa, there's a lot of money coming in here. And <clears throat> the problem for me was that, or, you know, problem, it's a great problem to have. With all of these sales came all of these other demands, uh, customer service, people were writing in all the time, and I had to answer these these emails and uh, of course there's marketing and websites and content to produce and all the other stuff that comes around trying to sell a product any product but I was doing it all by myself and at the same time I had a I had, I had moved to Singapore by this time with my family uh, to another bank where I had been headhunted and I was part of the management team for uh, one of Asia's largest banks so that was a fairly demanding job and um, I was working you know, from early morning to late at night and then coming at home and my family's asleep and uh, trying to answer customer service emails and think about the next uh, the next video and build this quirky brand that we had created. Uh, it, you know, it, it, at one point it just it well, not one point as goes over a long period of time. It was too much. And uh, my wife and I had to make a decision about what what to do. Um, because this was not sustainable. I had to pick one or the other. And uh, of course, as you would, I picked the job that had to do with the thing I love the most, which is uh, bikes and helping people suffer. Right on. All right. Eventually, you added a streaming subscription in addition to selling the individual downloads. So I know when I first downloaded with you guys, you would you know, you'd pay whatever it was and download a video and then pop it into iTunes or something on your computer so that you could play it while you're on the trainer and stuff but then the streaming was more of a subscription-based thing and i'm kind of curious has that just completely taken over or do you still sell individual downloads we no longer sell individual downloads in um at the very uh, beginning of 2017 um we finally cut off all download sales and that was not an easy decision because i'm leading up to that that point um we were doing very well with downloads you know we and uh, it's a bit like a i don't know like a, a drug hit we put out a, a new video and you know within a few days uh, we've sold a ton of videos uh, and you know there's a big cash hit and that that's uh, addictive uh, not only to to our company but also to our rights holders right they liked it and uh, consumers uh, liked it because they were taking our videos and then uh using them in some new online platforms that had been created uh, because the technology in our industry changed, right? No longer was your bike trainer and the workout you were doing separate things, but now they were connected and the workout would actually drive your trainer or could connect to your heart rate monitor. There was the, you know, these device connections that were there and is a company that just made a video and didn't have this kind of software platform. We were cut out from that, that loop. Um, and all those companies were subscription based we were also confronted with piracy, that our videos were being rampantly pirated by folks, um, and we, we were just losing a lot of money. And we realized that this model that we were on was not sustainable. Uh, uh, plus, we had a vision for the kind of things we wanted to offer and realized we, we just couldn't do that if we remained a, a, a media download-to-own company. So we took the decision to become a technology company and transition to an app that was subscription-based, and uh, all of our content would be locked up in the app that you'd only get access to with a subscription. That was a decision we did not take lightly, and I would say it took us a full year 
to make the transition to a technology company, both with with our Sufferlandrian customer base, with the media, um, internally, uh, our our culture um, on how we worked and thought about ourselves. It's you know that's a it's a rough transition, but I think one that we handled really well, and we are we're fully on uh, in our new form now and more successful than we were before. That's great. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned up the 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 piracy thing because that was one thing I always wondered about because you know like once I bought some of the videos like if I wanted to I could very easily just copy them to a USB and give them to a friend or something. There was no restrictions at all on the file. Is that were you guys trying to find some kind of DRM protection or other solutions or was it always just like there's nothing I can do about this? We looked into it a little bit, but the the cost and the complexity of it were too high for me um, because at that time I, it was still just me, right? As long as I worked at the bank, it was I was the only one doing this, and I just did not have the time to even begin to try and make that happen. Right. Uh, and so when I quit my job and just dedicated my life to the Sufferfest and, and helping people um, get faster, I. Uh, that's when I started to to hire people and bring on bring on folks who knew how to do things uh, far better than I did, and uh, eventually that's when we started to make the decision to move to uh, an app based business. Right. Kind of curious. I mean, just off the top of my head, it seems like selling it through iTunes might have solved that problem fairly easily because you know, like this, if you buy something through iTunes, it's really hard, if even possible, to share it with anybody else. Um, that's. That is true, but iTunes doesn't allow independent producers to sell their work through iTunes. Huh. Okay. Good answer. Because uh, that's that's one of the things I looked into. Yeah. And then, then just kind of like sheer kind of, curiosity, have you guys looked at putting these on uh, Netflix or something like that, or is there any interest on either end for? Yeah. Again, with Netflix, it's, it's the same kind of situation, <clears throat> but there is a channel, there's a platform called Roku in which you can set up your own content channel and people can subscribe to it. We did that. Um, matter of fact, we still have some videos on, on Roku, but all of those sorts of content only platforms have been, at least from a cyclist point of view, rendered fairly obsolete with the emergence of connected devices in your workout. Um, you re, you know, there's no point in watching a video if, if that, um, if you want your trainer controlled and your heart rate monitor and your power meter and your cadence sensor and all that thing connected and displayed and following the workout accurately. Right. And I, I've got some questions about that too, a little later. So we'll explain all that for the non-cyclists listening in just a little bit, uh, for, about the videos then. So is it, how often do you produce a new video? Oh, well, I guess new workouts um, are coming out. Uh, well, they have been fairly fast and furious. We just released five. I'd say in a year, typical year, you know, we might have eight. Uh, we've moved now to a situation where we've got a library of 45 uh, cycling videos. And we've also created content or licensed content in, in other areas outside cycling as well. Right. How long does it create? How long does it take to create a typical video? Oh boy, about a month. A, a typical video has four parts. Uh, uh, the the first part is the workout itself, 
Now, when I first started the Sufferfest, I was just using kind of like, you know, a conventional wisdom, bog standard indoor workouts that you might do and uh, using those to design videos around. But since uh, since we got a smarter people working with us than me. Um, we now work with Apex Coaching uh, and a guy named Neil Henderson, who's, who's one of the top cycling coaches in the world. Uh, he designs all of our workouts. So we'll talk with Neil, figure out a, a workout and, and we get a, a workout together that is going to achieve a specific goal that might be sprinting or climbing or something. That's the first part of a Sufferfest video that we have to get done. The next part is getting the footage. So talking with our rights holders, I'll say, hey, I really want to use the Tour of Italy or the World Championships or something. I'll get access to the footage that I need and start to edit that footage to match the video. So if in the video we've got a sprint, I'll be looking for a sprint in a Tour of Italy stage, for example. And then the the next part is a story. At the Sufferfest, we really believe that uh, being entertained or what we call entertained is critical to a successful outcome in your workout. If you are working out and you are bored and always thinking about quitting or your mind is wandering from what you're trying to do, you're not going to work as hard. You're not going to be developing your, you know, your mental, your toughness, your focus. So creating a story that keeps you engaged, that gives you goals, that uh, makes you feel like you're part of something is really important. And uh, having a story that deepens your relationship with Sufferfest or our fictional or mythical country, Sufferlandria, uh, is important to just strengthen your relationship with us and, and make you feel like a Sufferlandrian. That, that story is very important. So for example, we might have a story in which uh, you're at the Tour de France, your team is doing horrible, the team director has told you you've got to win today's stage, and the way you're going to do that is attack halfway through the, the mountain, climb, and solo to the finish. Let's go. And then the last part is music. So we work really hard on creating great soundtracks to our, our videos because you know you want a relaxing beat when you're in a recovery session or you want something fairly aggressive when you're attacking or you know climbing hard. So we stitch together music that exactly matches the, the workout that you're doing. So it's those four parts, workout, uh, uh, video, story, and music uh, that, uh, make up a Sufferfest video and pulling all of that together takes about a month. Right on. Well, you, you pre-answered one of my other next questions, which was who designs the workouts. I mean, I, I kind of knew the answer, but I wanted to have you explain it. And I, I had kind of assumed you were making them up when you started, but yeah, it's, it's, they've definitely grown more sophisticated. Was that, do you think you needed to do that to keep them, on the level or could you have continued to kind of pull like standard interval training or whatever? No, I, I, you know, with, with everything with the, the suffer fest, especially in the early days, I did everything myself and I, I had no experience in what I was doing and no, no real skills in what I was doing. I was making it up as I was going along or teaching myself. And, and that was quite fun. Um, with the workouts, I realized, gosh, you know, this, I, I can't keep, I don't know what I'm doing um, after pulling together the first few workouts, which are effective workouts, but I kind of ran out of the, the bog standard two by 20 minutes hard as you can go or, de you know, descending intervals or one minute on one minute off. Uh, I needed a coach who could look at our library and say, OK, these are the other workouts that you need in order to have a comprehensive library that's going to really develop an athlete. 
and that's when we got connected with Neil Henderson at Apex Coaching. Uh, and now, like I said earlier, Neil designs all of our workouts, helps us identify gaps in our library. Um, together with others on his team, like Coach Matt Casson, um, really, uh, really creates workouts that are going to target specific energy systems for our riders. And now that we have dev uh, connected devices and your training is very scientific, they also set all of the load requirements in our workouts. So, you know, if you're supposed to be ride, you know, riding at 200 watts or something like that, that's where they want you to be riding, you know, they're programming that into all of our workouts. Right. The, uh, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, they have, they're, as one of the best coaching firms in the world, the, the sports science that they've brought to the Sufferfest, I think, has also really positioned us as a, a serious training tool for serious uh, athletes um, in a way that we weren't before. Uh, now, that's not to say that we're not fun, because <laughs> uh, I think one of the things that we do really well is we make serious training a lot of fun. But um, they, their, their science has helped a lot of people get faster. Right on. Yeah, actually, you know what? I, I skipped one of the questions. I'm going to jump back for a second, but uh, it's still financial stuff, which is going to be my next question too. The so the subscription thing is: Do you find that it is kind of like a gym membership where people are just too lazy to unsubscribe, or they kind of forget they're paying for it and they just keep it going and going? Like, does it work out in your favor that way, or is there um, are there other benefits to having that like kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, predictable revenue stream as opposed to let's put out another video so we can get another cash hit. Well, uh, let's see. I mean, there are a couple questions there. Uh, is it like a gym membership? Well, um, I guess, you know, to an extent, you're always going to have a certain amount of people who have forgotten that they've subscribed to the Sufferfest and uh, they just keep paying, um, especially at $10 a month. It's not like it's a massive hit. However, we communicate with our subscriber base often enough that they won't really forget about us. Um, we're, we're not silent. I think there are some apps out there that they get you to subscribe and you never hear from them because they, you know, they're hoping that you just keep paying. Um, we're sending out emails all the time to our uh our subscribers. So if someone is a Sufferfest subscriber and they are not using it, they're going to, you know, within a matter of every couple of weeks, they're going to get something from us that would trigger them to go, uh, you know what, I'm going to unsubscribe. Right. Um, and we see, we work quite hard to get people in, engaged early and using the product. And once they start using it, they realize, wait, this, you know, this really works. Uh, the income, of course, is far more predictable um, with the subscription. You know, we can predict the churn. We can, you know, we, we were just doing our forecasting for the year and, and kind of, I think, pretty accurately can forecast what's going to be coming in um, uh, for the rest of the year uh, if all goes well. Yeah. What, um, uh, how long do people stick around? Well, um, that it, it varies. I mean, you have folks who just are around for the indoor season, so they'll just be around for a few months uh, because they don't think that there's a place for indoor training in summer. Uh, that thinking is not correct, of course. You know, you should be doing, you know, indoor training year round. And uh, those that stick with us through the summer, and we've got specific training plans for, for summertime, they realize, wait a minute, this, this really does work. So we're seeing people now subscribing for longer periods you know and just month on month they're just they're still with us 
And now we're seeing an uptick in our annual subscriptions as well. Uh, folks who have been with us, say, for a year on month, they realize, okay, wait a minute, this, this product is, is awesome. Um, I'm going to stick with it. And they're switching to our annual plan now. Yeah, I was going to ask what the ratio of month to month versus annual is. is that number you can share? Or? Well, I, um, no, um, but not because I'm not, not because I'm trying to be too secret, but because we've only really just launched and started pushing that. So it's kind of early days uh, to be able to tell that. Um, I would say after like uh, in April or something like that, I'll have a better idea because we'll be out of the indoor season and folks who are going to switch to annual most likely would have done so by then. So what, what's how long have you had the subscription program as an option? Mm, about um, year and a half. Oh, okay. I thought you'd had it longer. So is it is the well, whole we, thing new, we, or you only had the annual option as really new? Just the annual is the the newer part. Um, and we we had it there for a while, but we'd never pushed it. It wasn't something anyone really knew was there. Uh, we had a streaming app before the one we currently have, but it wasn't a device-connected app. It was just media. You know, it was a bit like a Netflix model, you know, um, but it never really took off, uh, and so I don't really count it as. Okay, that's what uh, I was we were, thinking of then. We were still, I knew we were it was st around for longer than a year and a half, or the options yeah, we were, you streamed them. It wasn't very good, and we were we were we were still selling downloads at the time. Um, so I really think of the, the dawn of, I guess it taught us some, a few things, but the dawn of uh, our emergence as a subscription-based tech company, it wasn't until we launched the current app. Okay. So the, the prior version of streaming, it did not have the connected capabilities to kind of work with the smart trainers and stuff? That's right. Okay. Gotcha. Um, all right. Now, jumping back to where we were. So with Apex Coaching or, or other partners like that, that you guys work with, is it how are they compensated is it a royalty model like with the footage or something else um with uh with partners like that that provide an expertise into the the fest uh, we usually hire them on a either a one-off uh, fee to produce something for us or uh on a like a, a retainer uh arrangement okay is that I'm curious what the reasoning is like it seems like there'd be lower upfront costs just doing a royalty thing but is it better in the long run to do what you do well I guess I I'm I make the decision on those kind of things with our partners um, based on what's best for both of us at the time and what they're interested in and then I think if you if as a firm you're going to allow someone else to uh, earn royalties or say have an upside on your growth they either need to own um own say own content outright uh, in a model that they already license so let's just say aso with the tour de france uh, or they're going to contribute actively to your growth uh, so um that Having that idea helps us shape the deals that we'll do with our partners. Um, those that are on royalties, uh, you know, we, we push them rather hard to, you know, to be promoting the Sufferfest and helping grow our business because, of course, it's, it's in their best interest to do that as well. All right. No, I like it. That's a great answer. So then let's talk competition. In my mind, Zwift is kind of the gorilla in the room because they've become so popular so fast. But I actually want to talk about the other ones first. 
Um, there's things like KinoMap, which uses crowdsourced video and overlay incline and GPS data to mimic resistance, or at least provide a wide variety of scenery as opposed to people in a room. Um, so besides them and Swift, who else are your main competitors? Oh, there's plenty, man. You know, it's it's kind of funny in the early days when when I started the Sufferfest, uh, there were players like Carmichael Training Systems and Spinnervals. Oh yeah, I had those. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, boring. yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that, that was where my inspiration to to create the the Sufferfest. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of other competition. There, you know, guys like Robbie Ventura in the U.S. were making some videos, but there wasn't a whole lot else. So it was small. Today, the landscape is dramatically different with uh, how technology has emerged and subscription models have uh, become popular. So we, of course, have Zwift, which is the largest, which is a game-based platform, um, really successful, uh, very engaging. Um, they, uh, they've done a, an awesome job securing investment and uh, have helped actually grow the entire indoor cycling uh, pie. Uh, they are the they're creating a tide that lifts all boats, I suppose you could say. Uh, you've got Zwift, um, then you've got uh, Trainer Road, uh, then, which is uh, like a library of workouts in which you follow a graph on screen. Um, then you've got Full Gas, KinoMap. There's there's quite a few in this mod, this kind of uh, category that you just mentioned, which is forward motion film, point of view film that makes you feel like you're riding down a, a road or up a mountain in the real world. Uh, so that's KinoMap, Full Gas, Big Ring, VR. Uh, there's, there's, there's a few others. Uh, then you've got things like on YouTube, free indoor spin classes from GCN. Uh, and then you've got guys that kind of work more in the fitness space rather than the serious cyclist space which is uh groups like peloton i hadn't even heard of half of those there's a lot i mean it's not a it's not an exaggeration to say that you know there's probably oh, two dozen platforms out there now that you could choose from uh, for indoor training now having said that there's really there's three big ones, which would be, say, Zwift, Trainer Road, and us, um, and uh, then a, a kind of a second category, and then a, a large category of small ones or ones that have, are just launching and haven't yet established their place in the market. Right. And then Trainer Road, you guys have partnered with them. I don't know if you still are, but I know I used to be able to like turn on my Sufferfest video and the same, a Trainer Road workout that was matched to that and have the Trainer Road app sync with the Wahoo smart trainer to make it all work together. Is, do you guys still have that partnership or have you just gone the way of building in that sync data all on your own? No, we no longer partner with trainer road. Um, in the early days that we did when we were just a media company, but when we realized that in order to survive, we needed to become a, a tech company and launch our own app, a partnership with trainer road didn't, didn't make any, any sense. Um, we were also having some problems with some things that we had done in which our customers were confusing us and trainer road. And we didn't have complete control over the, say the Sufferfest experience, the Sufferlandrian experience that people would have when they were using our stuff. So we really wanted to, to own that experience and, uh, and cr create a platform that was a lot broader than, than we currently could. So we, when we went to app only, a partnership with TrainerRoad didn't make sense. Um, 
having said that, the co-founder of Trainer Road, their head of technology, left Trainer Road, and when he did, uh, we snapped them up. So our head of technology was the co-founder of Trainer Road. At the time, that partnership made sense because you didn't have the resistance data and all that built into your your product. Was that like looking back? Was it a worthwhile partnership at the time, or was it just like kind of not worth the effort? Like, how would you, what were some of the things you learned from that? that maybe you would uh, kind of use as caveats for others or say, yeah, this is a good thing, do this? Oh, it was, it, it totally made sense as a partnership at the time and uh, not seeing what was coming down the, the road in terms of how rapidly technology was going to change. Um, you know, I guess I would make that decision again. Um, but uh, I think what we did was we, we abdicated a little bit too much of our experience to them. And that's something that uh, I probably would have done uh, a bit differently. But it, it, look, it, it certainly helped train a road and it helped us. I think we both benefit for, benefited from that relationship. So in that sense, it was great. But ultimately, as you know, time was going on and technology was changing and we were seeing competitors to train a road coming out and uh, we seen the subscription model um, <clears throat> taking off and seeing connected devices devices really being the only way uh, people wanted to train, we realized, well, if we're going to survive, we have to offer this because uh, we cannot survive just selling videos. And plus our vision, as I said earlier, started to get a little bit broader about what we wanted to do. And so we said, look, we, you know, we believe that we can create the best experience for people who want to be Sufferlandrians, and that's what we're going to do. Yeah, it's almost like instead of being a training video, you are a training platform which that's right kind of brings me back to Zwift. So, you know, like they've sort of gamified indoor training the way Strava kind of gamified outdoor riding and people really seem to be digging it. What's the, you know, it, if you were talking to somebody that was like, well, I've seen a Zwift and I saw Sufferfest stuff, like which one should I do? Like what's your pitch to push them in your direction? Well, um, <laughs> you know, our, our, vision, I suppose, is to be a comprehensive training platform for endurance athletes. So we, we can't compete with Zwift for that gamification and that feeling like you're on a group ride or you're racing with people. Um, that's what they do really well. Uh, what we want to do really well is give people structured workouts and structured plans and a broad for portfolio of content that is going to make them a complete athlete. Uh, we see that that's a space no one else has filled and we've stepped in there and I think we're, we're doing a really good job at it because now not only do we have cycling, but we also have 30 uh, yoga videos designed specifically for, for cyclists. We've got a 10 week mental training program. We have 35 training plans that include yoga and uh, mental training and we have other content that we're going to be adding in the future so for anyone who's looking at you know zwift or any other platform you say well look you, you know think about your riding and the kind of things that you want to do if you want to go on group rides and have that social component well you probably want to subscribe to zwift but at the same time you want to be fast on those rides and you want to be dropping people and in that case you need a serious training platform and that's what the Sufferfest is about um so I believe that in the market, people have room for two subscriptions, and that's that's often what we'll see in, in forums. People are talking about the fact that they've got, uh, you know, Zwift in the, in the Sufferfest or the Sufferfest in full gas. Um, that, 
that works. I don't think there's room for people to have three subscriptions. That gets a, you know, maybe a bit more expensive for folks, but two subscriptions seems to be um, be the norm, uh, if not for effectiveness, uh, at least for variety. Right. Okay. And I, actually, I was going to talk to you about the yoga and stuff in a minute. So, and, and a lot of the other things you're doing, because you guys have a lot going on just beyond the training videos. But uh, from a technology standpoint, so your program, like you, you've said, really benefits from people using a smart trainer. And so for the non-cyclists, you know, there's, there's trainers out there that communicate with your workout program and a heart rate monitor and a power meter and all this to sort of take what you're supposed to be doing in the workout and convert that to real resistance on the trainer. So if it says you're supposed to be putting out X number of watts or a certain percentage of your max output, the trainer will adjust the resistance so that that's what you're feeling. And that's how these training videos work so well is because they control the workout for you instead of you having to constantly be pressing like up buttons and down buttons to do it. And so when you had to create that and implement those communication features, I don't even know what you'd call them, um, into your videos, like how hard was that to do? <laughs> <laughs> way too hard man because uh, all that because all the equipment's made by third parties and you're using you know a third party communication you know either amp plus or bluetooth so there's just in my mind that's a big thing but like yeah what can what kind of guidance could is, you give to somebody that would have to assemble all the parts hire someone who really knows what they're doing <laughs> um and that's why we're so lucky to have reed weber as our head of technology because um you know, he really understands the industry, the, the technology behind it. He's a cyclist, a triathlete himself. Um, you know, you need someone like that who is just really, really passionately curious about the, the domain and has the skills to implement uh, his ideas. It was certainly hard work um, getting it built. And of course, as you said, you know, you've got third parties that are changing things and you've got, uh, you know, hardware and software platforms like iOS or, you know, windows updates and all, you know, these things are constantly moving. Um, and it, it can be, it can be pretty tough and frustrating to, to keep things up to date with, uh, with all those changes. But we now have a, a really We've got a great technology team now that uh, has, you know, developed an app that we've got what five stars in the uh, in the Apple Store right now with um, I think something like a thousand reviews. It's awesome. So you mentioned Reed and you mentioned pulling the guy from Trainer Road. Is that the same guy uh, or? So? Yes, sorry, Reed. Reed was the co-founder of Trainer Road. So I, I guess I know how you found Reed since uh, he had left Trainer Road. You guys were familiar with working with him. Um, but like the rest of your team, like how do you locate the right talent to put together an all-star team? Um, yeah, that's, I guess our approach to this is a little bit different than, uh, than other companies. Um, with our tech team, Reed has, has found folks uh, locally that um, he believes has got the skills and, you know, and that fit our, our culture. But for say our, our, uh, I'll tell you the story of our head of customer service and our head of operations, um, who this is a fairly typical. Uh, his name is uh, Aaron, and uh, we run an event every year called the Tour of Suffer Leandria, which is the greatest grand tour of a mythical nation. It's an online event in which you do Sufferfest videos for nine days, and we have a big community. 
And Aaron was a, a stay-at-home dad. He had done uh, his career in the military. He retired from the military after doing three tours of Afghanistan. And as a stay-at-home dad, he was doing the tour of Suffer Leandria uh, at night after, after watching his three little girls. Uh, he had amazing creativity and passion and was just re- he was really fun and funny and uh, just just a real figure in the tour in the the Sufferlandrian community online and I I just really liked him uh, and one day I was reading his blog and he was writing about how after doing three years as a stay-at-home dad um, he just couldn't take it anymore he'd rather go and do another tour of Afghanistan than have to spend another year um, uh, watching his three girls because it was such hard work he never he never understood just how hard it was to be a stay-at-home dad. Um, and, uh, you know, he's writing about how he's got a complete new respect for stay-at-home parents. and But he's got to go and get a real, a real job so that he can kind of get his sanity back. And when I saw that, I got in touch with him and said, you know, hey, we got to talk. Well, you know, I need help. What can you do? And, uh, you know, we found out that uh, you know, he had a really broad skill set. We brought him on board as our head of customer service. He did an amazing job there. And now he's, uh, he heads up customer service and operations for the Sufferfest. Other guys on the team have been found in similar ways, that they uh, were passionate Sufferlandrians first. And uh, somehow we connected and we saw a match. And now they, they're, they're part of the team. And that really helps with our uh with our culture and everyone's drive to, to, as we say, um, help people feel proud of themselves, which is our mission. Right on. So yeah, you t- turn to your customers for uh, potential hires, which I think is good because like you said, they're already passionate users. They, they get why you're doing what you're doing. And then it's, it's almost like that's the part that would be harder to train and, you know, certain specific skills are easier to learn. Yeah, and you know, and also we we have such a complex brand uh, landscape, you know, with our own language and and uh, you know, and country and history and just lots of very unusual things for a brand. And it, to bring someone from outside that world in and try and explain it to them, they would probably think we're insane uh, and leave. So if we've got someone who was a, a suffered Landrian first and came up through that and, and understands it and believes it, it just makes it so much, so much easier for them to fit in. Yeah. Is it, uh, how much of your workforce is located there? Like, do you have a big main office with people in there and how many people do you have? Oh, well, uh, our team is all over the world. Uh, we are truly a virtual team. I am here in Hobart, Tasmania, which is the last stop before Antarctica, uh, the southern tip of Australia. We've got one guy in Melbourne. We've got um, our head of commercial sales to gyms and cycling studios is in London. We have some uh, customer service guy in, uh, just outside Geneva. We have our head of customer service in Pennsylvania. We have two customer service guys, one in Chicago, one in uh, Texas. And then our head of marketing is in Oregon. We have a developer in Pakistan and a development team in Reno with uh, a few contractors in Colombia. Man, how do you keep all of that team communicating and working together? Well, <laughs> we've gotten pretty good about you know using online stuff, uh, uh, Slack, uh, Skype, email, um, social media, um, 
yeah, it's it works. It works pretty well. And then once a year, we get the whole team together. Uh, in 2017, we did it in Boulder. Uh, oh, by the way, yeah, I forgot to mention our coaches are in Boulder, Colorado. We all got together in Boulder in 2017, and this year everybody will be coming down to see me in Tasmania. Nice, cool. Yeah, I'm kind of curious uh, because it's also remote, and because you guys have a lot going on. Like, what sort of project management system or software do you guys use? Well, I guess um, you know the main pieces of uh tech that we use to keep things running around slack is a really big part of uh, how we communicate which i think is the case for a lot of businesses that have virtual teams um we use uh monday.com formerly to pulse for our project management uh and then things like jira for our tech guys uh what is that one how do you spell that jira j-i-r-a it's uh like uh software project management stuff um and then uh, dropbox uh, for file management um stripe for all our payment uh, clearing payment processing zero for our accounting uh yeah lots, lots of different packages yeah no, that's good i always like to know what other people are using too i've heard of most of those uh, all right, switching gears to marketing. So beyond this, the training apps, you, you mentioned the mental training and the yoga videos you guys do. You also have a kind of your own version of power training called 4DP. Can you give me the quick elevator pitch on each of those and like how they fit into your business and revenue model? Like the why behind creating those things? Yes. So um, our, 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 as I said, our vision is to be the most comprehensive training platform possible. We want to be one place you can go to get all the content you need to be the most successful athlete you can be. So that's why we have not just workouts to do on your bike, but we've got yoga, we've got mental toughness. We're going to be bringing strength training out uh, later in the year. Uh, we've got nutrition. So this, you know, this broad portfolio of content to help you become faster. That's why we're doing that because that is how we are going to compete effectively in our market. And so far, all signs are that that's working. Um, uh, 40p, four-dimensional power, uh, is a critical part of uh, our our offering to cyclists. That very quickly, up until we launched four-dimensional power, we and everyone else was using something called functional threshold power. Uh, this is basically your ability to go hard for an hour. When we understand what that number is and we measure that in watts, right? So, you know, Tyler is a strong guy. If you do a fitness test and we get your FTP, it might be 290 watts, right? When we know how, how, what that number is for you, then all of our workouts would be designed according to that number. So for sprint efforts, we might say that's gonna be two times FTP, uh, functional threshold power. For uh, climbing efforts, it might be one and a half times. The problem though, as we found out after working with Apex Coaching and talking to them about the science they use with their professional athletes, was that this number is is actually being misused in the trainer space where we and our competitors were operating. And that the real, you know, real coaches weren't using this number to figure out what your sprint targets should be. They were testing your sprint, finding out your maximum power for five seconds, and then using that number to say what your target should be during a sprint workout or your anaerobic capacity or your maximal aerobic uh, power. So there were actually four numbers that they were using to figure out a complete power profile for you. 
and then they were manually writing out workouts or programming them into something for their elite athletes. So uh, to us, that sounded like a brilliant idea to bring to the masses. So earlier this year, or say late in 2017, we launched uh, really a revolutionary way for people to understand what they were capable of called four-dimensional power that, that included a fitness test, which measured four different aspects of your, your fitness. And as an outcome, gave you a rider type. So we'll tell you whether you're a sprinter or a climber or a time trialist, so one of six archetypes. And then we tell you what kind of workouts you need to do to address your weakness, because we will tell you what your weakness is. We can tell from this fitness test and what workouts to do for your strengths. And then all of the workouts that you then do in our app reference those four metrics going forward instead of just referencing one and making assumptions about what you can do in the other three. We actually know um, that has been a game changer for us and I think a game changer in, in the industry because uh, you can think of it a, a bit like going to a tailor. You know, if you go to a tailor to get a suit made and all they do is measure your inseam and then say, okay, we're going to make you a suit, you know that suit isn't really going to fit you well. But if they go and they do all the measurements necessary, you know that that suit's going to fit perfectly. So that's the difference between FTP, just measuring the inseam, and 40P, measuring everything. Um, we can give you a much more tailored and personally effective workouts than anyone else. That was massive for us. So do you think the reason why, because uh, you said the coaches had been using this for uh, presumably years with the pro athletes, like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, why hasn't anybody else tried to do this? And then um, my own answer would be, because it sounds really complicated and just giving somebody one FTP number is easy. Like, mm -hmm. is that kind of, the thinking That's behind this? Exactly. It's very complicated. And what we've done that no one else has done is we've we've automated that. You know, the prepackaged workouts, we're driving those prepackaged workouts based on your own power profile. That's something that no one else was doing. And it I, oh gosh, we worked with Apex for about a year to get the logic right. Um adopting their test protocol, making sure that it worked, reprogramming all of our workouts to reference these four metrics, making sure that the, the levels that we were setting were accurate. Uh, it was incredibly complex, um, but we've done it and it was worth it, but it was really hard. And we stumbled along the way as we had to feel things out, um, but we're super happy with it now. Yeah, so I think the lesson there is if you can take yeah, if you know there's something better out there and you can make it easy for people to adopt and use and understand, then that's that's where you come up with the secret sauce that you guys have that no one else does and adds value to your selling pitch. Yeah, and I think when you can take complex ideas and make them easily digestible, this really helps people. And, and up to this point, these ideas were not easily digestible. They were being spoken about by sports scientists to sports scientists in a language that your average person just couldn't understand. It wasn't something that the mass, you know, average cyclist like myself could understand or use. And we've changed that. Now you just get in the Sufferfest, you do the fitness test, we tell you who you are, what you're capable of, where your weaknesses are, and what you need to do to change those things or improve them. Cool. So some of the other stuff you guys do, you make the soundtracks to your workout videos, which are really good, by the way, uh, available Thanks. on Spotify. Is that, um, 
like I, I guess with Spotify, you they can the artist makes a little bit of money every time they play. So is that kind of a deal you have with the artist to be able to use their songs, or do you have to pay to license everything? Like like what's the business decision behind making those playlists public? Okay, well uh, first to use. Um, those songs in our videos, we have to pay a license fee. So we do that. Uh, and we work through various rights platforms to do that. So there's aggregate music aggregators who uh, have a library of songs. We pick the songs we want, we pay a license fee, and we're allowed to use those songs in our videos. Um, Spotify, uh, there's no commercial arrangement at all. Um, just as anyone could, we're just creating a playlist of uh, songs that are in Spotify and are also available in our videos uh, and then telling people these playlists are available. So um, we don't make any money off of that, that, you know, the, the artist uh, makes uh, a little bit when someone plays their songs, but uh, we don't make anything off of it. We make them available because people love the Sufferfest soundtracks and uh, they want to hear it uh, at work or when they're going walking or something i don't know it would make me nervous uh, i get that pavlovian response uh, if i heard the heard the songs that i need to suffer uh, but yeah people just really just want to hear the music because we really do have we listen to a lot of bad music to find the songs <laughs> that are the diamonds that appear on, on sufferfest soundtracks uh, so and we're happy to you know to share that with people that's cool and one of your videos is a collaboration with the Call Collective, which is an organization that runs guided cycling tours. So what's that partnership look like from the business end of things? Well, these so that's run by a guy named Mike Cotty, um, who, uh, yes, he does the cycle tours um, and he does video profiles of famous mountains around the world. And we've known Mike for a while. We've always liked his work. And one of the things that the guys at Apex Coaching were telling us is, hey, you guys need some some base training, some endurance videos that can help people work on, you know, their just, just their their low aerobic endurance or their, you know, their, their functional threshold uh, endurance. Uh, and the thing is, we didn't have any video that really matched that. I can't show you footage of guys racing you know, eyes bulging out if you're, you know, you're only supposed to be going at 60% of your effort. Uh, so I needed some other kind of footage. And that's when I got in touch with Mike and said, Hey, could we license some stuff from you? Cause he has gorgeous shots and, uh, of riding up mountains in France and things like that. And so, uh, we worked on the concept a little bit and, uh, Mike shot some stuff specifically for us as, as well as gave us access to his library. And our relationship with Mike is just like any of our other, uh, rights holders. He's put, he's paid a, a royalty, um, on revenues. Cool. Uh, you have an achievements ranking system within the Sufferfest. Is that so basically like, I guess like the more videos you do and the better you do, you kind of get like points for so many days in a row or so much effort, so much suffering. Is that effective for customer retention? Like, or are people really just kind of sending all that data to Strava? Well, I th within the Sufferfest platform, you know, the idea that you you earn uh, badges for uh, achievements is something that we created because it's become an expectation, right? Whatever software you're in, you you get these little these little badges and, and trophies and achievements. So we wanted to to rec recognize Sufferlandrians that we're, we're doing great things on our platform. So whether if you complete all the climbing videos or you do the tour of Sufferlandria or you achieve your Sufferlandria knighthood, these are badges that you can unlock by, by doing these things within the app. It, uh, 
I'm not sure that it really helps in retention that someone's going to stay on board because they're trying to get an achievement. But I do do think it helps deepen people's relationship with with suffering Leandria. Um, And especially for those that are really goal oriented, you know, they they just can't stand the fact that they they've got a badge that they haven't unlocked. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I was just I'm curious if that kind of stuff really makes a dent. But yeah, I, I like the relationship building side of it for sure. Um, so you offer a free trial of your service. How is the conversion rate from once people try it? Oh, it's it's pretty good. Uh, I think with these things, you know, without telling you the exact number, I can say you know we always want to make it better, and we're looking at ways to make it better. I think with any small business like ours, you know, you're always trying to figure out what is best practice and what's going to be the, the most effective way to achieve your goal. Uh, you know, should we give people a seven-day trial, a 14-day trial? Should we ask them for their credit card up front? Should we ask for it later? Uh, should it be um, instead of a number of days, should it be a number of rides? Uh, there, there's all these different things, these these variables that you can factor into things like that to figure out how what's the best way to convert people to paying yeah. paying do subscribers. Do you do A/B testing? Like, do you test multiple? options like you just mentioned or are you guys kind of stuck on one at the moment well not with things like this um, because this is tech and tech is hard and we we are just (laughs) we are just not big enough to build two different streams figure out which one works Um, well first of all build two streams get both of them working then figure out which one works better (laughs) you know so uh, you know it's a little bit trial and error it's a feedback from because we have a great relationship with our our customer base and we're always actively asking for feedback and so asking folks what do they think um, we monitor social media really closely we look at what competitors are doing and also what players in other industries are doing that are some that um, that have a similar process to us and seeing if that makes sense for us to adopt right and so your current rates are ten dollars a month or it's ninety nine dollars for the annual plan do you do you do discounting or price promotions? Or if you don't, do you see a need for that? We'll do coupons to um, say, give people 30 days free when they sign up for a new account. We'll do things like that with our partners. Uh, For instance, if you buy a Wahoo Kicker trainer, which is one of the manufacturers of the equipment people use with the Sufferfest, if you buy one of their trainers, then you'll you'll get a code to give you uh, a free longer trial of the Sufferfest. Um, we do some sponsorships in which we'll give groups or teams uh, access. So we do things like that, very targeted couponing. We don't ever run sales. It's uh, not like, uh, hey, um, well, I wouldn't say never. We have done it in the past, but it, very, very, very infrequently and only in very targeted sub-markets. Um, you know, we don't say, hey, sign up today and you'll get the Sufferfest for 10% off a month. We, we don't do that. Yeah. So when you do the deal with like Wahoo, for instance, and they buy a trainer, which is an expensive trainer. So it's, you know, like a $30, if you're doing a three month thing, a $30 bonus, I think has a higher perceived value than the actual cost of it. But the, um, like how do the economics of that work? Does Wahoo give you, do they subsidize that deal to you or are you doing it as a marketing play? Uh, it, varies by opportunity but in general we are interested in anything that gives us exposure to our target market and are willing to give free 
uh, access to our app for a period of time because we believe that those people will have a great experience with us and convert. So, um, you know, with, with someone like Wahoo, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're saying, hey, look, we, we want to give people free access. You want to give people uh, an additional benefit to buy your trainer. Let, let's work together to, to bring that to market. Do you give any particular trainer brands or whatever, like exclusives for that? Or if every trainer brand came to you and said, hey, we want to do that, you'd be like, let's do it. Uh, no, we're, we're, we're trainer agnostic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and that actually reminded me, I was going to ask you, like on the, the UCI videos way back at the beginning of this, and I forgot, is... Uh, when you do you have any kind of exclusive to use the usa or uh, uci and aso uh, race footage yes okay so no other trainer video company could use their footage no is that when did you work that in at the very beginning or have you done that like midway at the very beginning all right um, and they did I, I imagine that might have been added some toughness to the cell since you were this unknown without a real product at the time. Like, how did they react to you asking for an exclusive? Um, they were okay with it because uh, I think none of us knew what was going to happen. Now, um, what we did see after we launched was that some, you know, some, um, some copycats came out. Carmichael Training Systems started making Sufferfest light videos using footage from the Tour of California. A company, another company came out used, also using Tour California footage. So obviously, you know, there wasn't an exclusive arrangement there. Um, you know, so people were copying our idea, but they didn't do it as well uh, as we were doing. And they also didn't, they didn't build the brand um, ecology the way we did. Right. Okay. So uh, I'm going to jump back to the pricing stuff. Um, you guys offer a studio plan for people that want to use the Sufferfest for group training environments, you know, spin classes, whatever. Um, how big of a part of your revenue and business is that? Um, it's, it's a small part of our business. It's, it's not insignificant. Um, it's not our, our main, uh, it's certainly not our main part of the business. Uh, but it's something that is, uh, let's say it's, it's small and growing. Um, it's something that we, we believe we have a, it's an industry. We believe we have a, a strong role to play in and, 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 uh, an experience that really adds a lot to, to the indoor cycling landscape, which hasn't changed a lot since the spinning days. Yeah. How do you police that? Like, do you have any way of knowing if somebody's using it in, for a group or not? Yes. Um, nothing, uh, it's not the, it's not what you're going to uh, expect me to say though. We don't have any technology or anything like that, that, uh, is monitoring whether a studio is playing the Sufferfest, uh, without a, a license from us. But, uh, without fail, if a studio is playing the Sufferfest, we'll find out about it through social media, huh. either because, either because they post it or because one of their members is so excited about the Sufferfest class. They just did it a studio that they post it. Yeah, and, that's then we'll, funny. We, and then we will pick up on it and we'll approach them. Well, I guess the effectiveness would be less because if you're playing the video, like do, do the studio videos, are they able to send like resistance and, and performance data out to multiple trainers at a time? Because that's a big part of using the system. Yeah, that's an emerging technology in the gym space. Uh, there is some some software and hardware that will do that in a gym space, but I'd say 
we're still a little ways off, maybe another year or so to see, maybe two years to see widespread adoption of that. So for the most part, gyms that are playing videos are doing it purely as standalone videos. Okay. And so the, the individual users would have to adjust their resistance as they're doing it? That's right. Uh, okay, cool. Old now, school. Well, I'm curious then, are you guys working with the the standards and what to help make that a reality? Because I guess whenever like Ant Plus develops a standard and they want to make it like a standard communication protocol, they probably work with the different people that are going to be using it. Yeah, well, the, the protocol's already out there. It's more that uh, gyms, in order to have a connected class, you have to buy, you have to buy the software that's going to uh, control the bikes. You have to have bikes that are all going to be controllable. Uh, you have to have the media system. It's an expensive uh, outlay for especially independent studios that are already struggling to be profitable. Hmm. Uh, and for bigger gyms as well, that's a big capital expenditure, you know, and they might have already just bought bikes. So it's it's really, I would say it's more held back by the in by gyms and studios not quite ready to invest the amount of money it takes to have that kind of connected experience. Um, and then the hardware manufacturers, like the bikes, not being quite readily available yet. Um, that's starting to change, but uh, I, again, I, I think it's probably a year off. I imagine the economics of something that's all digital and all streaming must be pretty good because you, you have like no physical inventory. Other than, I guess, merchandise that you guys sell, like T-shirts and stuff. But is, like, how many subscribers do you need to break even? Or how many subscribers do you have now? Or, like, what is... Because, like, your costs, I imagine, probably don't escalate at the same on the same line as subscriber growth. Um, yeah, well, uh, I don't want to answer this. Let's see. <laughs> uh <laughs> The Sufferfest is entirely self-funded. Um, we've never taken investment from, from from anyone, and we've managed to grow to the level that we're at now, uh, purely uh, on our on our own accord. Um, as a digital business, we don't have you know say big capital expenditures, uh, you know, or, or huge fixed costs. But of course, we need people to build things, and and the the biggest cost for any business is going to be your your payroll, right? Uh, and we need a lot of people to to build things, to market things, to to serve customers. And as we grow, uh, the demands and uh, not as we grow our customer base, but also we we grow our platform. We need we need more of those those folks. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm quite proud to say that we're we're self funded and we continue to to be self funded, um, and that the the picture looks you know looks really good for us. Um, but if anyone thinks that I can, you know, you can start a, a cap, uh, an online business with, uh, with very little money and you can grow it with very little money, then, you know, they'd be fooling themselves because you, you know, it still takes, it still takes money to make it happen. Yeah. Are you profitable? Uh, yes. And so you're growing entirely, obviously you're growing entirely off of revenues if you haven't taken outside capital. Is it, do you ever... That's right get to a point where you hire in advance of needs and like put yourself a little bit into the red or do you get do you kind of add people as cash allows well you know in the years when i wasn't working uh solely on the Sufferfest, we were basically banking uh, all of the cash i wasn't i wasn't taking uh, any income we were we were just accumulating um 
accumulating cash. Uh, and when I quit my, my banking job and started focusing on the Sufferfest and started taking a salary, uh, then we, of course, you know, we're dipping into these reserves to, to, to help grow the business and fund it. So we have had years where we weren't profitable because we were really investing back in the business and hiring more people. Um, yeah, that, of course, you, you know, you have to be able to do. And I guess that's what I mean when I say that, you know, you need money to, to, to grow. Um, and because we accumulated that cash in the early days, we were able to be self-funded and, uh, and can continue to do so uh, based on our revenues as they are, they are today. Gotcha. All right. I'm going to jump back to marketing. So some of your external kind of real world marketing efforts include SuffCamp and sponsorship of a pro team. And I was hoping you could kind of explain those briefly just so people know what they are, but then kind of also share the business business decision behind them because to me, they just sound like a lot of time and a lot of labor and probably kind of expensive. So I'm sort of curious why you do those. Mm -hmm. So remember, our mission is to help people feel proud of themselves. And our sponsorship philosophy is driven by that mission. Um, we want people to feel proud that they're associated with the Sufferfest. And therefore, we feel the need to sponsor things that uh, will make people feel proud. To that end, we invest in underdogs because we feel like all Sufferlanderians want to become better than they are. And so we want to invest in the underdogs who are overcoming odds, overcoming obstacles, um, which is, you know, what all of our time crunched working with kids, married or really anyone who's um, really anyone in life has got obstacles in front of them. So we invest in, in things that can provide a positive example to them uh, and causes that we believe in. So to that end, we have historically and continue to invest in women's cycling. We funded, we were the first corporate backer of a documentary about women's cycling, which has you know, been neglected in, in the sport. Uh, we've helped fund a, uh, a project in, in um, Tucson, Arizona, uh, where female pro athletes can go and live and train and get support uh, that they wouldn't normally get as an elite athlete. We also sponsor a mountain bike team in Lesotho, Africa, which is a landlocked country in South, in the middle of South Africa. That's one of the poorest countries in the world. Uh, these guys on this team, were, you know, um, when they went to their first World World Cup race, they were riding bikes that you wouldn't even have your kid ride on. Um, you know, this, this team of orphans and people who have overcome poverty that we couldn't even imagine. Uh, we've been sponsoring them for, what, four years now, and they are currently ranked 25th in the world. And we got one rider to the Olympics last year and hope to get two riders to the Olympics uh, in Tokyo. Um, the Sufferlandrian community has helped get behind projects like this uh, with our Lesotho mountain bike team. Sufferlandrians bought a new bike for one of the riders when their bike was stolen. They helped uh, get one of the riders to the Olympics uh, to help uh, pay for some things because we're the only cash sponsor in that team. So we continue to invest in those things because we just feel like it's the right thing to do. And uh, we want Sufferlandrians to be proud of their association with us. And it's, I guess it's, you know, in a way it's, giving back um, to, to the sport. Do they make the most commercial sense? Do we get a ton of business out of those things? No, um, not at all. It's just, I guess we just feel it's, um, I don't know, kind of like an obligation that, that, that we want to fulfill. Right. Uh, and then we have things like uh, Suff Camp. So Suff Camp is a, a 
a cycling camp that we run at the UCI headquarters in Switzerland. And it was created because it's the kind of camp I wanted to go on. Um, I knew I was never going to be good enough to be a pro cyclist or represent my national team. So I was never going to go on a really cool cycling camp where I had awesome coaches and location and, uh, got to ride all kinds of different bikes and, and just do amazing things. Um, and I also knew it at my age and with my interest, I wasn't sure I really wanted to go through that grueling stuff because I also like great food and wine and, and nice hotels. Uh, so we created Suff Camp to be this like elite pro level rider experience so that you could feel um, like you were a national team rider from Sufferlandria who um, had the talent to go all the way. And at the same time, um, we also put you up in amazing hotels, give you unbelievable food and wine and uh, give you an insider view into the sport because we're hosted by the UCI. So we get to have dinner with their executives and former professional riders and just talk about the sport and what's going on and, you know, and hear about the developments. And it's just such an amazingly unique experience, not least of which because it is at the UCI's world headquarters. It's in an amazing part of Switzerland uh, in the west, just uh, off the, the shore of Lake Geneva, kind of at the foot of the mountains. Um, Suff Camp is a project that it really, it makes no financial sense. We don't make money off it. It is just a labor of love, and it's an opportunity to get Sufferlanderians together and have an amazing time with amazing people. Um, it's something like, you know, if we break even on that, we're like, we're over the moon. Uh, we get our coaches there. It's just awesome. It's just an awesome experience, and I love it. The team loves it. The Sufferlanderians who could go on and say it's life changing. So you know, we we don't we don't make money off it, but it's just something we love doing, and so we do it. Yeah, well, I mean, you might get some pretty solid brand ambassadors out of it that go tell their friends about Sufferfest. It, probably, I'm sure they're telling all their friends about what they did there. Oh yeah, I mean, like I said, people who go on it, they just. You know, because we're on the velodrome, we're on the BMX track, we're on the road, we're on cyclocross, uh, we're in the weight room, we're doing, you know, it's just, this, you just get to play bikes for a week, and it's incredible. Yeah. And it's a cool facility, too. I've been there once, a few years back. Um, mm -hmm. So you mentioned Sufferlandria, so it would be remiss if we didn't explain what that actually was, because you guys put an insane amount of energy into building the whole Sufferlandria Astoria story story and so i'm gonna put a link to the particular page on your website where you guys kind of go on and on about it and it's like impressively extensive but it's, it's so i'm, I'm kind of wondering like I, you i get your explanation of building that kind of uh culture around it but I, the level you guys go like it, it i almost question the roi on that because it's like it's a lot <laughs> Yeah, well, um, it's fun, and uh, you know, the, I think anyone who knows the Sufferfest realizes that we're having a lot of fun, and we want to make you laugh, and we want to make you feel like you're part of something bigger than, than you know, you're, you're part of something bigger, right? Uh, and the, the Sufferlandria, which, which is our country, our mythical country, and Sufferlandrians, which are the people from our country. Or something that I only came up with, uh, I don't know, probably four or five videos into our evolution. And that's because I was working on a story uh, where we were at the World Championships. This is a workout called Local Hero in which 
um, you're this person and you're going to the world championships and you're going to compete. And I was thinking, oh, well, if that's the case, who are you representing? Are you representing Italy or Belgium or what? No, you got, I mean, who are you representing? And I was really stuck on this because how do I tell this story? And I asked the people who uh, had been buying our videos uh, at the time, I said, what would you call someone who's doing the Sufferfest and going to the world championships? And got all kinds of ideas, but we ended up on this idea that you're a Sufferlandrian from Sufferlandria. And that country and that identity only emerged in this fourth or so video. But all of a sudden, on social media, people who bought Sufferfest videos were calling each other Sufferlandrians. And they were taking pride because we also had created a national flag and they were posting our flag on their their mm -hmm. profiles and on their pages and thought, wait a minute, there's something here. And it goes back to, you know, anyone who's looked at brands, you know, and, and tribes, you know, you create something tribal and it's it's very um, sticky and um, people feel passionate about it. And we thought, wait, this is really fun. And so we started building over time the idea of this mythical country, Sufferlandria. And uh, direct, our director sportif is uh, Gunter von Agony. Um, the minions are the people who, you know, who work in Sufferlandria to help you suffer, because uh, you know, everyone who works at the Sufferfest, including myself, is known as a minion. Um, we, we have an enemy. We, uh, one of the, you know, we were talking about you know, what's important for Sufferlandria. And we said, well, every country has an enemy. Who's the enemy of Sufferlandria? Uh, yeah, you know, now, that I'm, now that I'm saying these things out loud, it, you know, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But, uh, and uh, we came up with the idea, well, gosh, the enemy of Sufferlandria has to be Couchlandria. Uh, you know, and that, then we created a, a coat of arms for Couchlandria, and they've got their own page, and they're routinely harassing us, and we harass them back. Um, at our website, you'll even see a, a Couchlandrian bathrobe for sale in our in our online store. Um, you know, it's just building up this storyline. We have nights of Sufferlandria, so if you do ten Sufferfest videos back to back, which is just an insane challenge. Uh, you do 10 Sufferfest videos back to back in one day with no more than 10 minutes rest in between videos. You qualify to become a knight of Sufferlandria and all other Sufferlandrians have to refer to you as sir or dame. <laughs> um, you know, it just, it, it is, uh, we've got a citizenship test. Uh, we just keep building on the mythology, if you will, of, of Sufferlandria and Sufferlandrians contribute to that. It fuels the storylines in our videos. And it's just a, a certain ethos. Um, and probably one of the most important things I think is that uh, all Sufferlandrians uh, don't care about what your numbers are or how fit you are. But what they care about is that you are pushing yourself hard and doing something that you're proud of. And you see that in our communities. No one's saying, hey, your numbers are low, I'm stronger than you, or you're, you know, you, you're not, you're not strong. Their question will always be, did you suffer? Did you push yourself? If you did, you're awesome, no matter how strong you are. And uh, without fail, like in the Tour of Sufferlandria every year, we might get, I mean, might get one comment over nine days, thousands and thousands of posts that is mean to someone else. And that's unheard of in the online space. Unheard yeah, no of. Kidding. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm really really proud of that. Uh, so, Sufferlandria is a huge part of our entertainment, and it's something that I would say has been co-developed 
together with our our Suffren Landrian customers. It's it's a it's a very uh, organic and um, uh, just evolving world that we we, we just love. And uh, yeah, I've, you know, some of it's a little bit over the top, but that's that's part of it. You know, it's it, it sets us apart. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I just got three more questions for you. I know we're running a little long. What are one or two operational headaches that keep you up at night? Um, technology stability, um, bugs in our app that we didn't expect. You know, what what can we do about that? Um, uh, you know, our, our guys are, are always working so hard to make sure we've got the most stable app possible. But when iOS changes, you know, comes out with a new update and all of a sudden our app won't do something and, you know, we didn't know about it, you know, stuff like that um, is, a, is certainly a headache. But I think we respond to it as well as we can. Yeah. I, uh, didn't you guys have an issue with that last iOS update? Like yeah. something wouldn't yeah. work right? Because I think I saw an alert that said, don't update your iOS if you want this to work. Yeah, well, in, 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 in this particular situation, which I guess kind of highlights the, the hassles you can get in tech, um, it's not a problem with our app. It's a problem between a piece of hardware and iOS. And that piece of hardware is something that people use with our app. But we don't have any control over that piece of hardware. Uh, and we don't have any control over iOS. It's it's like you can imagine it's an argument th those two are having, and we're you know we're affected by that argument. Uh, but they have to solve their problem <laughs> in order for right. us to us to be working uh, effectively for people who use that piece of hardware. So that kind of thing can be frustrating because we're just kind of standing on the sidelines saying, "Come on, guys, can't you work it out?" Yeah. But uh, and then at the same time, we're like, "Okay, well, we have to. Okay, what's Plan B? We need to build something else now to get around this." Um, but that's something that, you know, that's the kind of headaches that you just go, Oh my God. But you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's fine. We know those kind of things happen. I guess the other, um, thing that keeps me awake at night, but not out of frustration, um, or, or anxiety, but more just out of wonder is, okay, what's next? You know, what else can we do to help people feel proud of themselves and be a complete training platform? What can we do? Uh, but it's like I said, it's more of a wonder and curiosity that I'm, I'm staying at night, up at night, just thinking about stuff. You know, I'm never, my brain is never turning off. I suppose like most entrepreneurs, I'm always thinking. Yeah, and, yeah, it's it's hard to see the future, but man, if you could. Yeah, yeah. So it's that 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 kind of keeps me up at night. Not a headache. Um, well, know, I like that you, you you mentioned that you're adding strength training. I like that because you know if I were interviewing you about like training and stuff i was going to ask how to build strength training into what you guys do which we don't need to talk about that but um you guys had some triathlon training videos too that tried to incorporate you know cycling and running and stuff yeah um is that do you see that as a big growth segment is expanding into other sports or fitness related activities well at the moment we're still focused on cyclists and triathletes uh, these are the the two markets. So we have uh, a small library of running videos um, that are in our app. We are adding strength training, which is certainly going to benefit both triathletes and cyclists. More training plans. Um, the mental training program benefits not just cyclists and triathletes. As a matter of fact, a lot of the benefits people who have gone through our program find are, are benefits in just like their real life, not not just their sporting life. Uh, but 
you know, these are the, yeah, that's the kind of thing that can keep me up at night. Like, wondering, okay, should, what else can we offer these guys? Or should, should we be offering stuff to another segment? You know, we often get requests from rowers or, you know, skiers. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, geez, man, we're still working on cyclists and triathletes at the moment. <laughs> But uh, there's there's a lot out there, and you know, like any any small business, we've got to try and allocate our resources, our limited resources, where we think we can have the biggest impact. And at the moment, that's in our our two chosen markets. Okay, last question. Anything else that you would share with fellow entrepreneurs that might want to build some sort of digital, you know, coaching or guide similar to the Sufferfest? Yeah, well, like, maybe two things. I guess one would have come out through this uh this talk and that's don't be afraid to try things if you don't know how to do it um i didn't know how to do any of this stuff and in many cases i still don't know how to do it um, we've brought people on board who do but you know i was teaching myself how to edit video and sound and how to put something up online for sale and build a website this is all stuff i just didn't know but i wasn't afraid of that i I just got on with it because it was it was fun and it was a chance for me to learn some new stuff. So I think you know don't don't not do something because you don't know how to do it. Um, figure it out. Then the uh, the other thing I, I would say that I think is really important is don't lose touch with your customers. Um, as your business grows, you can get more focused on strategy and operations and admin, and you 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 delegate dealing with your customers to your staff. And then you lose touch with what people are saying about you and you lose touch with those critical insights that can help drive the future strategy of your business. So while I don't handle customer service tickets anymore, every single day I am actively involved in our our social media platforms, interacting with Sufferlandrians around the world every day. And uh, that is very important for me to stay in touch with how people feel about us, how they feel about our competitors, um, making sure they feel cared for and that we have our finger on the pulse of new ideas. So uh, I think that's really important for entrepreneurs to continue to do as they grow. Well, David, man, I appreciate your time so much. Yeah, thanks very much, Tyler. Really, really enjoyed being on the show. And uh, hopefully uh, you and your listeners found some of that interesting. If yeah. uh, anybody wants to to drop me a line with any questions, they can always get me on david at thesufferfest.com. Awesome, man. We'll put that in the show notes. Thanks. Talk to you later. Thanks, Tyler. My favorite quote from this episode is this. The best entrepreneurial ideas are when someone solves their own problem and then realizes there are other people out there that have the same problem. David's timeline shows how he made the best use of technology at each stage in their growth, but wasn't afraid to pivot when something better came along. Sometimes it was hard, but it's that flexibility that's helped him create one of the top training platforms in the world with a truly unique product that delivers on its promises. That keeps customers happy, which keeps him growing. I put a lot of thoughts on his product development and tactics in this episode's show notes, including links to all of the tools and online services they use to manage their global team. Check them all out at thebuildcycle.com. While you're clicking about, could you forward a link to this podcast to two friends? That helps me grow, which means bigger and better guests for you. Being an entrepreneur can be hard. Here's hoping you're not suffering through any boring podcasts or training videos to learn the ropes. Until next time, keep building.